Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And this episode, we are very excited to talk about the insane grindhouse classic, Shogun Assassin. This is a story of honor, disgrace, vengeance. And a man who became a demon. Shogun Assassin. Once, he was the greatest of the magnificent samurai. Now, he hunts the evil lords who butchered his wife and stained his honor. One man and one child defy the most notorious masters of death on the planet. Like father, like son, meets the greatest team in the history of mass slaughter. So Shogun Assassin is one of those movies that I think we're going to have some explaining to do here why we're covering it, but... It's such a unique example of celluloid insanity because there are plenty of movies that we all love. I mean, in our first episode, we talked about Gates of Hell, which most of us saw for the first time dubbed because that is just the state of the world with Italian cult cinema. But in general, I think we all at this point prefer to watch movies with the original language track. But Shogun Assassin is a whole different thing yeah it's absolutely its own its own beast i am certainly a purist when it comes to subtitles and dubbing probably more so than than most like i never really fell in love with godzilla movies until i started watching them subbed i know that's a crazy thing to say and i see you shaking your head john but like it really it, it turned the tide for me with those movies and it makes it so I feel like I just take them a little more seriously. But with that said, I fucking love Shogun Assassin. It's that narration that you only really yeah. get with the dubbing. That child is wonderful. Okay, so I guess we should probably back up a little bit and explain... What the hell it is yeah. and how it came to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I also am struggling to think of other examples of this kind of nonsense where... Someone who was not involved in making the film in a totally different country several years after the fact bought the rights and thought, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing here. And like we I think we talked about this a little bit last episode and I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future. But there are plenty of examples of directors who have their work recut and sometimes reshot by distributors like this happened to Mario Bava all the time and that is my particular soapbox but other than something like Silent Night Deadly Night 2 which incorporates all of these scenes from the first movie I was really racking my brain to think of another example where someone takes an existing film that is not their property although uh, Robert Houston, who I'm sure John will have plenty to say about in a minute, 
bought the rights and then just like obviously loved the film and obviously wanted Americans to be able to see it. But instead of just distributing it as is with subtitles or with regular dubbing, he'd made a whole different thing. Yeah. So Shogun Assassin is a recut of the first two films in the Lone Wolf and Cub series. It's basically just like the first or it's like 15 minutes out of the first movie. And then the rest of it is just like the second movie remixed <laughs> i mean that's like the best i can it's it's definitely yep. a bastardization of these two films but like what a fucking wild wild bastardization it is but it also it's not like the the bava stuff that i mentioned where the studio thought they knew better and they wanted to change the story for marketing reasons no it's kind of like you could tell that these people were just stoked on the first two lone wolf and cub films yeah and yeah and tried to find the best way to them to condense it down into one movie full of just like decapitations and blood spurting and baby carriages that's, that's why I think remix is a better term than re-edit. Yeah. All right. I got a, I got a little plot synopsis I kind of want to read off. This is from the back of a wonderful bootleg that Sam owns. I mean, I uh, bought that shit when I was like probably 18 at the so first, cool. <laughs> the first ever so horror sick. convention I it, went like, to. All the photos on the back of it are just completely out of focus and just look like <laughs> someone's fucking like parents. It was like printed out in their house. Okay, okay. Astonishingly violent, Shogun Assassin tells the story of Lone Wolf, a powerful and fearless masterless samurai who lives a peaceful existence with his wife and his son. What? Yeah, it's peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> when he refuses to swear allegiance to Kurandu, the most vicious shogun in Japanese history, Kurandu <laughs> orders the death of Lone Wolf's wife, Azami. Blinded by rage, Lone Wolf vows to avenge her death, taking his son Tizoro with him. Tizoro. What? <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, like it's don't. not right. Yeah, no. they they got the characters. They wrong. They got the characters wrong. They got the plot wrong, which is kind of what Shogun Assassin does to Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but this is, I just don't even understand. I don't think I've ever read the back of that box because he's the Shogun's executioner he's not living a peaceful existence yeah. <laughs> like what the, the one bit i do want to read from this is on the bottom it says watch out for junior as he releases the <laughs> blades from the wheels of his rickety wooden pram <laughs> <laughs> junior's coming and the pram the pram sounds real sinister well, I, I guess it's peaceful if you're the executioner as opposed to the executed you know, no. yeah, he, he lives I mean, a peaceful life. Yeah, he going goes. around decapitating people, <laughs> including decapitating some children. Yes. Oh well, yeah. That, that's the intro of the first, the original yeah. Lone Wolf and Cub. Is this very, very slow buildup of this young emperor child who is being led to his death, and all his like parishioner types are like crying and weeping over it, and <laughs> and that's when you're introduced to uh, Ugami Ito as as the lead. And he has to fucking hack off this little kid's head, and that's your introduction to him in the original series. But in Lo or in, in Shogun Assassin, your introduction is just this. It's it's incredible. <laughs> it's like the most iconic bit of the movie, I think, even more so than some of like the crazy gore scenes. It's just this like haunting voice of this child. It's like disembodied voice explaining who his father is. When I was little. My father was famous. 
he was the greatest samurai in the empire. And he was the shogun's decapitator. He cut off the heads of 131 lords for the shogun. It was a bad time for the empire. The shogun just stayed inside his castle and he never came out. People said his brain was infected by devils and that he was rotting with evil. The shogun said the people were not loyal. Shogun's decapitator. It's so cool and it's so iconic. It sets the tone for the whole. I mean, like he doesn't just describe his dad. He describes like the the Shogun who isn't the Shogun in the original ones. Oh yeah, the cra- crazy blonde dude. Yeah, <laughs> he. I love that line. Where he's like, they said his brain was infected with devils, devils. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it has his face with the blonde hair and everything and the eyebrows he looks staring. like he stuck his fingers in an electrical <laughs> socket <laughs> <laughs> oh. which is also kind of how charles looks when it's really humid out yeah what can you do it's and it, it's it's a good way to like have like opening to get like a, a sense of the world especially since this is an import you know people watching this in drive-ins and grind houses probably don't have like a good idea of of yeah what things were like during that period exact, in japan and you can't open up uh, a movie for american audiences where your main hero decapitates a child yeah i mean some audiences will enjoy it for sure, sure. you need to keep at least a semblance of humanity, even though they're like clearly like their life is fucked up and they and he constantly reiterates that he is like on the demon way in hell. It's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. You've chosen the path of hell. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes, which happens I think earlier in Shogun Assassin than it does in the first Lone Wolf and Cub movie, is you find out Ogami Ito is basically kind of set up and framed so he has to be executed but the ninjas and the i would say these definitely qualify as ninja movies both shogun assassin and the series which to me is always uh, delightful yeah but ninjas come to kill him but when he's in his shrine his family shrine praying they kill his wife instead so unlike the back of that fucking bootleg box his wife wasn't the target she just was an unfortunate casualty. And so there's this whole great scene where he basically says to his infant son, who's uh, maybe like a year old or something when it starts, who can, he can crawl. And he says, you know, you, you can't understand my words, but you can choose the sword or he gives him this ball. I go home. I have decided to escape. To defy the Shogun. Today I will begin walking the road to hell. But you will choose your own path. So. Soon you may be seeing heaven. Choose the sword. And you will join me. Choose the ball. And you join your mother in death. You don't understand my words, but you must choose. And 
basically if the kid chooses the ball, he has to, he's going to kill him. Yeah, so he join can your be, mother he can in be heaven. with his mother. Or will join me on my path to hell. It's so fucking sick. It's so sick. I loved this so much as a teenager. It was definitely one of those Holy Grail movies for me, as I know it definitely was for John. Yes, yes. But rewatching it now, I just didn't like it as much, which I think has to do with the fact that I watched the series again only a couple months ago and was so hard in love with it that watching this version, it still has its charms, but... I do still respect it so much just because it introduced multiple generations of crazy movie nerds like us to the series, but also I think to some of the later, more violent samurai films that we'll talk about more later. I know when I first heard about this movie, it immediately wedged itself into my brain and it was all I could think about for so long. And my local video store didn't have it and like... I didn't have nearly enough money to buy the fucking the the edition that finally came out. I think like Criterion put it out like ages ago or something like that. Was that Criterion that did Shogun Assassin or no? No, no just so they did a Lone Wolf and Cub Blu-ray box set, but somebody else also released this Blu-ray set that at first a couple of years before Criterion that at first was mad expensive yeah i somehow got this shit on sale at christmas for 13 dollars wow and it's it's like even if i i'm sure at some point i will get rid of my entire blu-ray collection because that's just i don't like to have things but i'm never getting rid of this thing i got it for 13 dollars. yeah <laughs> when i finally did track it down it was at my friend like juan lucas's house he had a copy of it like my eyes got like saucers and i went up to him and i was like please can I buy this from you? <laughs> buy it? No, 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 no. Just, just so you can borrow it. And I was like, I might never give it back. Okay, you can have it. <laughs> That's so sweet. So he just fucking gave it to me. I remember being on horror movie forums and people talking about this. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like a cool thing. My local video store didn't really have like a strong like martial arts section or anything like that. We had like Bruce Lee movies and neither such. did mine. Yeah, it, there there is a few. Maybe now with like older eyes, if I go look at it, there will be things that like I just glossed over that I'd be like, oh wow, that's actually pretty cool. But I I didn't see anything neat, and I know this would have stuck out because I was after yeah. it. And, and because the title or the oh, the cover image is so the greatest. Everything about it. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, this could be like a gateway movie for me where I'm like, I'm going to start looking at this whole thing. So I looked for it for years and years. And then sometimes I'd come across a bootleg and it was like way too much money. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then one day, randomly... Best Buy of all places. (laughs) It was on DVD. Like it was like 15 bucks and I bought it and I I called out of work that day. Oh, hell yeah. Just so I could watch Finally See Shogun. Yeah. I mean, it was something, it was like uh, you just came across this treasure that you've been hunting for years. You came across it by accident and I was just like, I need to watch this. And I, I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah. This movie is just this like perfect amalgamation of like two of my favorite genres. It's like that classic Chunbara and the and the splatter film. Yep. This is the connective tissue. This movie like holds such a special place in my heart because it 
it introduced me to so much. It led me to to Zatoichi. It led me to Yojimbo. Because when I was a kid, all I really cared about was like gory psycho shit. And this was an eye opener for me. So despite the fact that it's, you know, like watching it now, I, I have to also agree with you, Sam. It it doesn't hit nearly as hard. As soon as I was done watching it, it made me want to watch like the Lone Wolf of Cub series. Maybe we want to watch like Zadoichi flicks. I agree to an extent. Like the Lone Wolf and Cub series. It's perfect. Yes. And it's, it is the superior animal. But it, I look at them, and this is like a testament of how great Shogun Assassin really is, is that I, I can look at them as two completely different entities. Yeah. Like, like the Lone Wolf and Cub series is the 15 minute long Iron Maiden album closer track. <laughs> Shogun Assassin is like the rip roaring motorhead opening track. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. this yeah. fucking it's, death ripper. It's an absolute fucking party of a movie. And, and and not only that, it has this like bizarre fever dream quality that you only get yeah. with this like weird like re-edit. No, absolutely, absolutely. It, it's like a fucking midnight movie. Yes. It, absolutely. it feels like something that you would watch like after taking a fucking hit of acid and go into some packed psycho movie theater. It it, it reminds me a lot of El Topo. And and not just like the similar themes of, you know, a man with a child on some like wacko mission in the fucking desert, but like just the crazy fucking vibe, just this like because Shogun Assassin doesn't really make that much sense. It's it's like it's hard to follow. Like scenes bleed into each other in this weird way. Right, but you know what's weird is that that never bothered me until I did see the Lone Wolf and Cub movies and I knew what was happening. Same. But before that, the movie was still like hazy and weird enough where it didn't matter. And I was still hanging on the thread where like I was not confused or like it just, I just let it happen to me. And it, something crazy happens like every six to eight minutes. Like it's always bumping to the point where like you don't really even bother asking questions. You're just like, okay, who's the next fucking yeah. weird villain yeah. that's going to pop out? You you get the vibe and the tone of the movie pretty early on. Like after a while, like you you're like, okay, we're this is what we're doing. We're fucking rocking here. There's a um, Shaw Brothers did a, a similar thing. They did a movie called Inframan, which <laughs> was it, which is a yeah, fantastic movie. <laughs> but it was their like Ultraman knockoff. Yeah, and apparently that was originally going to be a television show. So the movie is a re-edit of like the first like yeah. handful of episodes, that's, and it it feels like he fights a new monster like every fifteen minutes or so. That is a very common practice in Japan is they'll they'll splice up a few TV show episodes and make a movie out of it. I'm pretty sure Inframan was from that TV show. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Ultraman was from that TV yeah, show. Well, um, something Q. Ultra Q. Ultra Q. It was yeah, like yeah. A, a spinoff of that. But and Inframan was like the Hong Kong, like, let's get... Because when Ultraman yeah. came out, that I think... I think Ultraman was the first of that whole, like, Kamen Rider and all those yeah. guys. say that i saw this movie and became kind of obsessed with it before i really knew much about manga or anime or anything like that but 
if you have a familiarity with those, I think this as a movie and also Lone Wolf and Cub as a series has a similar structure to that where it's kind of episodic. It's not at all like an American horror movie franchise where each movie has to have this finite beginning and end. It just sort of goes on and Ogami Ito has all these different adventures where but basically after his wife gets killed and he goes on the run uh, with Daigoro, his son, not at all the name of the child on the back, on the yeah. back of the bootleg. Was it Terizo? They fucking dropped the ball on the back of this uh, bootleg. They there. didn't They didn't watch the movie. No, they didn't do their fucking homework. <laughs> Isn't that a certain kind of meat, Terizo? You're thinking of Chorizo, John. Oh, yes. yes <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I am. That's, that's his Mexican adopted son. <laughs> but... The main arc of both kind of Shogun Assassin and the series is it's twofold. It's he's on the run from the Yagyu clan who are trying to kill him, but he also is making a living as a sort of work for hire assassin. And there's all this great shit that they don't have in Shogun Assassin that shows how he gets jobs where he just sort of travels through the countryside setting up signposts to let people know that he's there and he's for hire. And as soon as they see this scary ass Ronin samurai wandering around with a baby cart, everyone immediately knows what's happening and that he's down to cut some heads off. I know, yeah. Wouldn't you love to see the uh, wrongfully accused version of this where it's some schlubby dude walking around with his kid and they all think he's this top dog oh. samurai? <laughs> yes. That would be that would be a great like that should be like a story in like the tv series or something where there's just this other dude he's a single dad working hard and everybody thinks he's this this super he's just trying to make ends meet he's not really Uh. although on kind of a similar note have either of you seen the mute assassin no no or so i had never heard of it until i was doing research for this episode and Wakayama, who stars as Ogami Ito, was, I think, before this series. So also, I don't think we clarified this. Shogun Assassin came out in 1980, but the six Lone Wolf and Cub movies were made between 72 and 74. They just, like, blitzed them out. Yeah. Which was pretty common practice. But he, before Lone Wolf and Cub, was in this... It sounds like a similarly themed TV series where he plays this samurai who gets in this horrible fight and is maimed. And so he's mute and he wanders the countryside out for revenge, fucking killing people. And I now have to find. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when you fucking look like that, that's those are the roles you're getting. You're getting the quiet guy who's going to fucking kill everyone in the room roles. And in all six of those movies and in Shogun Assassin, he has he arguably has more dialogue in his Shogun Assassin voiceovers than Wakayama actually says words yeah. in all six of the That's films. That's true. <laughs> it's so sick. That's cool that there's like a great silence samurai movie. Yeah, there's so many so the fucking Chunbara movies. Yeah, we got to talk about that. They're so amazing. They came out at such a relentless pace for like so long that like once you really get a taste for them and you start falling into that genre, it's it's magical because there's so many. 
when I first started getting into this genre, it was through the Zadoichi films. I remember John, you got the the box set. Yes. And and I were like just like I was enamored with it. I was like, so there's 26 of them. <laughs> so he's a blind samurai. And like I wanted to know everything about it. And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you should do is you should start with like some of the middle ones cuz they're like a little more crazy. And I think I started with like 14 or 15. And I like watched that one cuz it had a cool sounding title. And you were like, no, go back to 6. Watch 6. So I watched 6. And then I was like, all right. I'm going to watch all 26 of them in order starting now. And I did it over the course of a week, which is twice as long as it took for them to make the series. (laughs) 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 And, and it like, it really changed stuff for me. Like that's when I, I jumped off and I like, like I always liked the Akira Kurosawa films. Like I love seven samurai, but it wasn't until I like, cause I like, I learned Japanese history watching these movies. I mean, they're, such a fascinating look at the way Japanese culture and especially Japanese attitudes towards things like, you know, respect and hierarchies and masculinity changed over the years because I I think the easiest parallel probably for American audiences to understand is the Western where, you know, Westerns were hugely popular from pretty much the advent of cinema. So 20s, 30s, same thing with Chambara films. But after World War II, they both change in very specific ways where both Westerns and samurai films become really dark and super violent. There are a lot of anti-hero characters who are on these, you know, missions of revenge Granted, not a lot of them have their children in tow. So it's amazing yeah, that this, this is like special. it's like about the journey of a single dad. But yeah. I should also say that they're part of this bigger tradition, this uh, genre called Jidai Geki, which it basically means a, a period piece. And most of them are set during this era in Japanese society from like 1600 to the late 1800s where there's this real emphasis on things like tradition and fealty and everybody's obsessed with being loyal to either the shogun or to their particular feudal lords. And the really interesting thing that Westerns do that these post-World War II Chambara and Jidaigeki films often do is they explore this particular set of cultural values, especially where male characters are concerned, they have all this anxiety about how this way of life is coming to an end. That's that's classic Western themes. They're always kind of harping on that like, oh, things have moved on. And it seems like even like the first set of Westerns, that was going on in them. Like it was just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, things are, are, are at an end here. It's kind of neat how like there's like a back and forth though. Like Kurosawa was influenced a lot by John Ford. But then Sergio Leone was influenced a lot by Kurosawa. Yeah. Clearly, if you watch Yojimbo. It's, and it's wonderful trying to pick out which came first. Like right. who's doing, I mean, like clearly like, you know, Sergio Leone was remaking Yojimbo. Right. But it, it's it's really interesting to see like who's influencing who and when. It's fascinating if you think about the way Hong Kong movies play into this as well, because directors like Chang Che, who worked for Shaw Brothers, intentionally kind of changed the formula of sword fighting movies 
because he started to see some of Kurosawa's films and Sam Peckinpah films and so is now pulling in these yeah. different oh, influences. It's so yeah. cool. It's, I love the web. Yeah. I, I mean, like in Hong Kong, they call him Honorable Bloodshed. Yeah. But in a way, you can use that as an umbrella for all of them. I mean, spaghetti westerns have that, sure. you know, they, they're all honor code. The bad guy is always like this shithead that has no honor whatsoever. And is just greedy, which right. is totally what's happening in Shogun Assassin and the Lone Wolf and Cub series, where the villain is someone who's trying to manipulate people to amass power by any means necessary. And that's totally what happens in a lot of those spaghetti westerns. And American Westerns as well. Yeah. Another little thing that I love about Chambara films and Westerns is like the tiny, like just super cool flourish. Not, they're not flourishes. They're just, they're, they're like, they're gimmicks almost. In Lone Wolf and Cub, it would be... Wakayama's nostril acting. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. And, and the... The baby card itself. Oh, the it's fact that so it's like sick. it's like a fucking James Bond gadget machine where anything is possible. Like anything on it can be a fucking knife. Anything can be detached, just rip someone to shreds. And westerns do this, like particularly Lee Van Cleef's Sabata movies. Yes. Where every part of the gun is also a secret <laughs> gun. Like when he runs out of bullets, he just lifts the gun up and like a little flap comes out Surprise, of the butt. Surprise, bitch. And there's another fucking gun in the butt of the gun. It's, it's just like... It's very Looney Tunes. It is. It is. And it's... it's But it's so... It's so cool. Like how many different ways can we make this sword turn into another kind of sword but also if you're someone who's only seen or only heard of shogun assassin the fucking real shit with the baby cart doesn't even happen until i want to say the third movie and the sixth movie have the real wild baby cart stuff because in both of those films ogami fights entire armies yeah, and he's just rolling this cart through him. It, w- it would make the quartermaster and James Bond blush to see. Oh, yeah. Q, Q designed that cart, I think. <laughs> Grow up, 007. But also, while we're on the subject of Chambara films, just real fast, I did just want to point out that uh, Kenji Masume directed one, two, three, and five in the series and also did the first Satoichi film and some of some of the others. So he's somebody who I think was particularly influential in the way that these later super kind of, I don't want to say anti-hero, but kind of super anti-hero Chambara movies just became so wildly popular. Like whatever formula he had, it it was gold. Especially, Hanzo, where it's Zadoichi playing a character John Holmes should have played. Oh, I <laughs> okay. hate it. Uh, no. You I, love... Wait, have you stepped into Hanzo yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, they're great. Yeah, <sighs> don't you remember he was complaining to us a few months yeah. ago about it, how upset he was? <laughs> all right, all right. I, I gotta... I you gotta... have to explain. It's Zadoichi's second cane sword. <laughs> <sighs> this is what happened. <laughs> so, I... The Zadoichi movies... Like I was saying earlier, they're very, very, very special to me. I I watch at least like a handful every year. I think about them still all the fucking time. And one of the things that I love about them is is the character. He's just this fucking 
lovable. Like he sometimes acts like he's an idiot, but he's not a fucking idiot at all. Oh yeah. But he's like just like he's oafish for sure. Like whenever he's eating rice, he gets rice all the fuck over his face. I feel like he and does it on purpose though. I think so too. It's it's part of it's, it's a way to let your guard down around him. But he's just like such a likable, smiling guy. And I think and okay, and Shintaro Katsu yeah. is he's his brother is Wakayama. Wakayama, the the lead in Lone Wolf and Cub. I wanted to ask, why do they have different names? Is that a stage name thing? Or? Yeah, it's for professional reasons. So their father was a super famous theater actor, and they both started out with theater training and working with him as children. And maybe you know this about Katsu. I don't, but Wakayama got tired of it pretty quickly and early in his life when he was like 13 or 14 he started doing martial arts training and became super proficient did continue working in theater and was in this like touring kabuki troupe and after i think a year or two of that he kind of said you know fuck this and kept studying different martial arts And that's when he got noticed and was hired to do like stunt work and to be in some of these TV shows. And because of that, that's how he got these kinds of roles. And that's why they both wanted like their own identities away from their famous dad. And as Shintaro Katsu started getting more and more popular, even before the Zatoichi films, but especially after the Zatoichi films, he he had his brother show up. His brother's in the second one. And, and he also shows up in the sixth one in these like kind of quiet villain roles where he's like so not the main baddie, but he's like the baddies. Like he's like the final fight baddie because usually the baddie <laughs> is like just like some like, you know, Chamberlain who's right. like doing some shitty thing to a town. Chest of gold, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. 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 Zadoichi in the Chest of Gold, which is yeah, one of I, the best Zadoichi films. Did, it's the sixth one. Did I ever tell you my my corny Zadoichi watching ritual? No. What is it? So I got the box set. And first of all, for when I first heard about Zadoichi, I assumed that he was this like wise Pai Mei type character. Me too, totally. Yeah. So when I got this like Charlie Brown bumbling, funny, <laughs> he I was is like Charlie Brown, completely enamored, and I was just like, oh wow, this is wonderful. And I had like a week in between jobs, and I watched like the first ten, and I loved it. And then like it was like a bit of overload. So then I've decided I, I took a break for a few years and now I watch three every year so I can like stretch out that box oh, set. So I'm that's at like so sweet. I, that's so nice. I'm at like twenty one now. But yeah. I feel like and by, then, Yeah, but when by the time you're if, done you can just start it over again. Yeah, they'll be exa- they'll be oh, fresh to me. So that's I, beautiful. for the rest of my life I'll watch three Zadoichi. Well I so love as that too. as wonderful and like charming as Zadoichi is, I guess after the Lone Wolf and Cub movies come out and he sees his brother in this like fucking badass head slicing like fucking take no prisoners role he then is just like okay it's my turn I want to be the fucking badass so he makes this other series called the Hanzo series Hanzo the Razor I it it, (laughs) the first time that I I put on the first one to watch I'm like okay I'm gonna watch my best friend Shintaro Katsu the nicest man in the world as Hanzo the Razor. I know he's going to be kind of mean, but I can take it. You know, I know how to, he's an actor. I know how to differentiate my actors that I like. He's Except, still on the side of, of the, okay. he's on the, the movie path. opens with him 
raping a woman to get a confession out of her. And like halfway through her <laughs> confession, she stops and then he stops having sex with her. But apparently like his rape style was just like so amazing that like she begs him to continue and and she tells him everything that he wants to know. And this is something that he just that's is what his character does. Yeah, there And he like trains his dick by fucking rice and smacking it and it's just like <laughs> I don't want to look at my best friend do this. So I I like stopped the movie and I'm like, "Uh." And, and you wrote in our group chat so upset and John and I are yeah. both sociopaths. So, so. Well, yeah. And well, like this was years ago that I attempted it and I like later came back and was like, "Okay, it's time. I'm going to try it. And now I love the bitch. Well, it's, yeah, it's also sick. funny because I, so I haven't seen the whole Hanzo series, but I watched the first one before I ever saw any Zatoichi movies. Wow. So for me, it's, but also definitely, I would say as a teenager and even into my early 20s, my preference was for exploitation movies rather than, you know, Chanbara films. It took me falling in love with Kurosawa to and falling in love with westerns for sure to really get into those but something that you were telling me isn't Katsu the producer of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies yeah about halfway through his run on Zatoichi he basically bought the rights to the character and started his own production company and you can see like a remarkably stark shift in tone like the movies get bloodier they get bloodier for sure and they get trippier weirder like they still like they all have like the same like five scenes that happens in all of them they're like kind of like a tv show in that way where like the dice game yeah he's always cutting dice in half he's always fucking cutting shit in half you know like that awesome so you know you just made me watch chest of gold and that great scene where he shows off or he has he has this like showdown with his own brother at the gambling t- his own brother being Wakayama his real life brother yeah. at the gambling table where the bet is cutting this coin in half it's just it's, it's the coolest shit ever yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's what westerns do when they're like when they shoot the fucking hats off each other's heads right or they like shoot like That's the legs out of the fucking table it's basically a dick measuring contest oh, yeah. without Absolutely. slapping your dick down on the table yeah well in the hanzo case yeah, sometimes exactly. you do <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh, wolf. i want I got a question I kind of want to pose to you guys. Who to you is the most iconic person or, or character or actor from the Chunbara genre? I mean, it has to be Sanjuro. Toshiro Mafune's character in Yojimbo and Sanjuro, who, if you haven't seen either of them, he gives this fake name. It's this very, like, family guy type thing where 
it's like he just looks at something in front of him and makes up a name. Oh yeah, like what's fly. your name? And he like looks at the wall and it's like, oh, my name is uh, the Candy Snatchers poster <laughs> hanging above your. <laughs> but he like looks out at this mulberry field, and so Sandro means like thirty or thirty year old. And he just like it's clearly a fake name. He doesn't even try to pretend that it's not. But that character that he basically plays in both of those films and that great Zatuichi movie you made me watch. Is it Zatuichi versus Yojimbo? Yeah, Zatuichi meets Yojimbo. That's right. Yeah. Meets him. But Toshiro Mifune is I think the greatest person ever. Yeah. In, in I mean, Chambara movies, but just I love him so much. I mean it's it's hard to to argue that yeah he's he's pretty much like the rain and blood of of samurai he's characters it's also just, the handsomest oh my right, god just badass cool like everything you need is right there yeah he's well, definitely the john wayne of it he's even sure. better than john wayne no offense right but but he just it's sort of like when you see john wayne in a western everything you need to know like everything that's great about this is right here and i mean like i that. hate this phrase but it's that big dick energy thing yeah he's yes. got bd I noticed that whenever I watch a movie with him in it, Toshiro Mifune, when he's not on screen, you can still f- like feel his presence. Yes, and like, you're just sort of looking at the the clock. Yeah, or, or yeah, waiting for him to come back. Totally. And then when he's <laughs> back, I mean, there are times where, like, even when he's like not on screen, but he's in the scene, like you can see everyone looking at him. Like, like it's just he is he. He's plugged in. He controls he the fucking world in a way. It's not even that. When he's just like has a sword and he's just like beating the shit out of people, I believe it. It's not acting. Yeah. I was reading this incredible story a couple days ago about how Kurosawa first met him, which was during this audition where all of these actors were basically kind of competing in... He, Kurosawa in in this interview makes it seem like it was some sort of like public event. Mifune didn't win whatever it was that he was there to do, but Kurosawa was saying that during his particular performance, he just like went insane (laughs) and became this like physical force of nature, which he totally was in life. And even though he didn't get that particular part, Kurosawa was like, I immediately knew that, like, here's the guy. Yeah, this is the guy. And if you're not super familiar with these movies and you want to know where to start with Mifune, especially Mifune as a force of nature, like, yeah, obviously watch Yojimbo because it's the greatest thing ever and Sanjuro is just as great, but Throne of Blood Oh my is- God. I think the prime example of Mufune not acting. Like, dude got shot with arrows for real. Like, yeah. he was wearing padding, but it's actual, like. There's hundreds of fucking arrows it's being so shot at him. Scary it's it's to terrifying. Watch. It's terrifying. And you keep. And whenever I watch that scene, I'm thinking, like, okay, this time I'm going to see the strings and how they're doing it in reverse, but it's. They're fucking shooting arrows at him and they're going into him and it's, it's wild. I think it's in like the criterion booklet for seven samurai where Kurosawa called him over to show him footage of seven samurai. And apparently during like one of the battle scenes, he was like waving his sword so fast that the camera never caught it. It just looks like he's just waving his hands around. (laughs) That checks out. That's so sick. Their last movie, Redbeard, 
apparently, like, they fell off. And then years later in the 90s, um, they, like, I think they even, like, badmouthed each other in public. Like, there was they a falling did. out. It's, it's really sad. And there's also this super sad story about how Kurosawa was really frustrated by Mifune's success and was struggling with his career and, like, tried to kill himself right. and all this awful stuff. But they reunited and became friends again at Ishura Honda, the guy who his did all funeral. the Godzilla movies, this funeral. And they were actually going to work together. And then Toshiro Mifune got dementia. Hmm. Isn't that such a sad story? That is really sad. It is sad, but in the grand scheme of things, the two of them made some of the greatest films in cinema history. Oh, so yeah, movies I go back to, like even ones people don't talk about them. High and Low, I've watched. Oh, all the time. High and I Low is so cool. It's one of the best police procedurals, absolutely ever. ever. I, I mean, it almost feels like. Like I was going to say this earlier, it feels sometimes that these Chumbar movies, like I don't know whether this is true or not, but it feels like they are literally inventing genres. They're like trailblazers. And Toshiro Mufune, it almost seems to me like he invented being cool. Like I know that's not true. Like I know people were fucking cool before before him, but like were they? I mean, I'm going on, you know, my assumptions here. Maybe cool guys out there. Some of the things he does were like. Was that already a thing where you're like eating food while like shit's going down and like rubbing your fucking chin? Like, was that cool before he did it? Like, did he invent? I I don't know. Was breathing cool before he did it? Probably not. Oh, speaking of, and this is totally a tangent that I will not stay on for very long, but there is a really great movie that we watched recently that I feel like we should at least mention, which brings together Chanbara films and westerns which is this fucking train movie called Red Sun. Oh yeah. Oh, Red Sun is awesome. Basically it's a western movie about Charles Bronson is like robbing a train. Yeah, speaking of cool. Yeah. yeah. The movie yeah, yeah, is yeah, just yeah. drowning in it. Charles Bronson is robbing a train and he's robbing a train with Elaine Delon yeah, of all people. Yeah. It's just all of the coolest men yeah, in his. You have like the gruff badass, the hot badass, the other hot badass. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I'm sorry. On the train is Toshiro Mufune, and he is bringing a gift to the president of the United States from the Emperor of Japan. This like samurai sword. Fucking Charles Bronson robs the train in a sick like train robbing Western action scene. So good. And then later gets betrayed by Elaine Delon's character and has to team up with Toshiro Mufune's character. And it's just, it's such a cool movie where it's just like two big dick wizards chewing up the scenery. (laughs) And like, because it's like a buddy film where they're like traveling, it doesn't matter really what the plot is and what's driving it. It's just watching these two absolute kings interact with each other. circle back we gotta get back on topic here we're having a little too much fun wakayama is also super cool you know who finally defeated wakayama who the bad news bears oh my god what wait back up you said the fucking lone wolf is in the bad news bears bears go to to tokyo the third one yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> or is it go to Japan? It's okay. one I think it's go to Japan. That's so sick. It's Who does the he play? Really bad one. He's the coach of the rival, oh the Japanese. Which can you imagine Yo, being so coached by that cool. guy? All Fuck. that guy would have to do is just look at you and sweat a little and flare <laughs> yeah. his nostrils and you'd uh, be fucking pissing your pants and running laps without being told. <laughs> uh, does this feel more like a Toei film than a Toho film? Yeah. yeah. Toho doesn't, I mean, Toho does put out some wild wacko shit for sure, but Toei always had their toes in the like the pinky genre right. and into like the like crazy yakuza movies exactly and this has more of that like jazzy psycho vibe than, yeah. than a toho more, more than um the shogun assassin version than the lone wolf and cub because it has uh, it's it's more like oh this feels definitely i mean i know obviously they're both based off the same manga but if it, it comes out more in shogun assassin i feel yeah and uh i mean stylistically it's more like toho trying you know it, it's just much more beautiful shot well toei films a they're lot grimier. more right and like it's a lot more handheld like yeah. in the action stuff and way more urban i feel like these especially the jedi geiki films are often set and i guess in a way it does kind of remind me of some of the wuja films where they just have these gorge and even maybe hammer in, in terms of something yeah. uh english language where there are these gorgeous historical set pieces and these like great outdoor sets which are not so much in the Toei films, but are more way more Toho style. That's that's something that I really, really love about Shogun Assassin and Lone Wolf and Cub is how like despite the fact that they're so brutally nasty and like the the gore set pieces in this, like when they hack off someone's head and a fucking like old faithful level geyser of blood just zips out of it right it's insane it's majestic and it feels more <laughs> like oh this is something we saw in the street fighter than something we'd get from you know the yeah. other toho T totally oh but wait a minute while we're talking about those geyser level blood spurts these movies and this is this definitely shows up in Shogun Assassin. It doesn't just show you a guy's head getting cut off. There are scenes like in the opening of the first one, Wakayama, he goes to cut a dude's head in half down the middle and the guy like holds on to the katana and another guy jumps up behind him and gets impaled on the sword. And then there's that fucking sick scene at the end one of the main opponents that he has to fight in this crazy desert sequence gets his neck cut in half and gives what I can only describe as like a death rattle monologue oh, where the it's, <laughs> oh it's so incredible it's amazing he's like he's I've like, always wanted to hear yeah, this sound when cut across the neck um, it's just it's Perfection. so cool like what a fucking dying speech to give your technique is magnificent. When cut across the neck, a sound like wailing winter winds is heard, they say. I'd always hoped to cut someone like that someday. To 
hear that sound. But to have it happen to my own neck is ridiculous. The other master of death is um, Shin Kashida. Who, speaking of Hammer, is yeah. the, is the Dracula in the Toho Dracula oh, trilogy? Yeah, cool. oh, that's so sick. He he has a very distinctive face. He's the Interpol guy in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. He's super badass in that too. He's, I mean, there are so many badass people in this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's what's great about these like long running series of movies. I mean, I know Lone Wolf and Cub only had six films, but even it still, it should like, have had twenty six uh, as would well. Be, it would be so cool if it did, but it, it gets almost so many different levels of like Japanese film royalty get to like pop up in them, and pop and, up like, and cut people's heads off. Yeah, and in, and in the really really long ones like the Zatoichi films, they, oh, yeah. they they come back like three or four times playing different I characters. I love that. Me not too. Not Me even too. that. Uh, Zatoichi uh, gets exports. Jimmy Wang Yu, the one arm swordsman. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta love him. Yeah. <laughs> also fighting people in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and also like Zatoichi, which went on to inspire so many Western films. I mean, especially Rutger Hauer's wonderful Blind Fury. Oh my God, I forgot we watched that, yeah. didn't we? Blind oh, yeah. Fury yeah. rules. It's <laughs> nobody could replace Adoichi, but he—he's the best part of that movie, and he does a fine job. Like the humor parts, he nails. There's the oh Rutger he's Hauer, great. yeah, yeah. The oh. the part when like it's like the final fight at the end. And the kid like throws him the sword, but of course he doesn't catch it because he's fucking blind. <laughs> yeah, but if, if it was Katsu, oh, he, he would have caught, caught it. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. I no guess offense, the- Rucker Hauer, R.I.P. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. The, the fact that he loves his kids so much, the bonds of parenthood are like such strong themes. It's so wonderful, and it's also so unexpected, I think, both for an action movie and for this type of what is basically, especially in terms of how it's cut for Shogun Assassin, what's basically an exploitation movie. And when you think about American action films and definitely American exploitation films, you very rarely see parent-child relationships that are healthy and that are supportive and here he just he doesn't even have to say anything he just looks at his kid like he loves him he treats him as an equal too because every time the kid's in danger he's like yeah my kid knows the path we're on like the scene when he's in the fire and the boat's burning down and he just throws the kid out of the fucking window of the boat like in the in the baby carriage like be brave be brave yeah (laughs) but there are also some sick scenes where the kid clearly has picked up on enough that he knows how to survive. Like we were talking about this earlier, that one truly incredible scene where Agami Ito has just taken a beating and like needs to sleep it off. And the kid, even though he's probably like two or three at this point, goes and gets him food from this Buddha shrine at the side of yeah, the road. Yeah, it was an offering on the shrine of food that someone had left. And when he sees the food there and he realizes that he needs to take the food from the Buddha, he like takes his jacket off and he gives the Buddha the jacket and he prays and he takes the food. So he like so leaves cute. him an offering and then still brings the, the food back to the dad to like help revive him so they can like go on. But 
there's this that wonderful scene that happens just beforehand where like okay we have to talk about those ladies oh my god the fucking like ninja women that show up they're so fucking cool they're the coolest the fact that they turn uh what is that daikon yeah yeah Yeah. so they've got this basket full of daikon and they they embed blades in all of them it's oh my god it's so fucking cool but it's like that's why i love these movies that like little shit like they're throwing fucking daikon at him and it's like going right through the cart anything can be a weapon anything can cut your fucking head off in a second and he's always prepared and that cart is fucking prepared there's too. there's a great scene in shogun assassin where they go take a bath and yes. he hears something and you just hear this drone music and the camera just like does like this like 360 pan. It does a horror movie yeah. thing. Right. And, and that scene takes its time. It's and, not a short little scene. It's like a, a minute and a half, two minutes long of him just hearing a sound. Right. And, it, and nothing pops out or anything, but it just shows like his how alert he is Constant for danger vigilance. all the time. The yeah. scene, it's one of the very few scenes that doesn't end with some like crazy action scene. Right. But it like, it like builds up as if it's about to go there. And then he like shuts his blade. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah. He just has We're this chilling. spider sense. Yeah. And he's like, okay, this one's cool. But before we get too far away from talking about the psycho female ninjas, I think if if you haven't seen this, one of the sort of subplots that gets folded in is there's this school of female ninjas who work for the Yagyu clan who are hired to kill Ogami and his son. And that is really kind of the main focus of the second movie. And so that's also a huge focus of Shogun Assassin. But the thing that I loved about this series right from when I first started watching it is it has all these totally psycho female villains. Yeah. Like, I want to say the third one, maybe. Or no, maybe it's the fourth one. It's uh, Baby Cart in Peril. The the person for that film... And so all of the individual movies include the main plot of this Yagyu clan trying to kill Lone Wolf and his cub... But there's also an additional plot where someone hires him to kill someone else and he yeah, gets swept up. Yeah, those are the, the two plots yeah. that kind of like... Every yeah. single movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. The side quest. Yes, the side quest is often the best part in yeah. these. But in Baby Card in Peril, there's this female, this tattooed female warrior who is a ninja and just like demolishes everyone in her path and has become a total psycho and the movie is very clear that the reason she's become such a psycho is because of how all of these men have treated her yeah so it's very kind of self-aware the way they set the female ninjas up in this one where the guy who delivers the news that like two of the oh, the, so the yagyu brothers are are dead and she's like okay I got this. I'm going to kill this guy. And he's like, well, he's really strong. And like, she like sees that he's, he's doubting her because she's a woman and all of her, her fighters are women. And she's like, okay, pick your, let me pick your strongest fighter. And like, (laughs) it's straight out of fucking, it's straight out of fucking Hellraiser. Yeah. The the way that they destroy this guy, like they cut off his fucking fingers, his ears, his nose, his his cheeks, his feet, his legs until he's just this little rolling 
blood puddle of a man. So that's your introduction to them, that there are these fucking just brutal, ruthless fucking warriors. And, of course, Ogami Ito... You know, makes cleans the yeah. floor. He, with he them. makes sashimi out of them. He does and until finally. He's, oh my god, the leader! When he's faced with the leader in the woods, it's the it's greatest so scene. Fucking cool. I am the supreme ninja. He tries to cut her at the ankles. And it's it's a very, very close fight. But the moment that she sees that she is... Basically be- bested. Yeah, yeah, she's bested. She, like, jumps out of her outfit. Out of her kimono. She's, like, wearing a cat suit under the kimono. A fishnet cat suit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. The guy who built the baby cart built the eject button kimono. <laughs> yeah. he, he, had, he had to... It had to be the same designer. And then it's like definitely a reverse shot where like originally they shot out of her like running at the camera, but then they like reversed it. Yeah. And that little leap she does. Oh, that's the best part. So cute. But also maybe my favorite crazy shit that happens is she winds up going on his trail, of course, because that's how these movies go and tries to kill him again. The second time she tries to kill him, she almost manages to drown Daigoro in a well with the help of some of the other Yagyu clan that she's working with. And of course, Ogami Ito fucking kills everyone, saves the kid, but doesn't kill her. And she, like, this isn't expressed in dialogue, but you clearly understand that she's, like, fallen in love with him because he's the most awesome. Yeah, and the way that Daigoro explains in the voiceover in Shogun Assassin why he thinks that his dad didn't kill her. That was the first time I ever saw my father spare the life of an enemy. He should have killed her, but he didn't. Maybe it's the way she looked at him. Maybe she reminded him of someone. It's it's breathtaking, but she winds up following them onto this ship. And, you know, we just talked about how he throws the baby cart overboard and says, be brave. Like, you got this kid. You're fine. He also throws her overboard. And even though she kind of tries to kill him underwater, he say he disarms her underwater, saves her life. All three of them wash up on shore, but it's cold as hell and they're getting hypothermia. So he takes all of their clothes off and makes them huddle together for warmth to save their lives. But the way the scene plays out is the sickest shit ever because you know this is an exploitation movie, especially when you're watching Shogun Assassin. And the way that he rips her clothes off, you're like, holy shit, they almost died in a boat wreck and now he's going to rape this woman? And she obviously thinks the same thing, but he's just taking her clothes off to keep her warm. 
the the sort of way she's really stunned and can't believe that this is what's actually happening is exactly how the audience feels. Yeah. It's just this so genius. Is, it's wild. They like cut to the child. They cut to her her like her like her naked body, her and nipples. To, and to his nipple. And to as his well. nipples. And then the kid's like <laughs> bopping her nipple around. And then they cut to the sword on the ground. She's like thinking about fucking killing him. And they cut back to the kid bopping her nipple. And it's just like the kid winds up sucking on her nipple. Yeah. And she 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 relaxes her hand and doesn't go She's for like, the sword yeah, okay, and it's not... like now we're a family <laughs> do you think that's why he saved her so that he would have somebody to make the body warmth daigoro sandwich with no i think he saved her because he recognized that she was bitten by the love bug yeah oh. yeah he, he saw that they were safe and yeah yeah and like it just it just shows that even though they are on the demon path to hell, he still has a level of humanity, especially when it comes to his family. Like, that's such a strong theme in this, is this, like, love of family. It it almost feels to me like Akira Kurosawa doing a fucking Cormac McCarthy book or something. It's like fucking Blood Meridian or The Road or something, where things are so fucked up. That's honestly kind of accurate, and... If you watch all six films, which I strongly encourage you to do because all of them are incredible and the last one is probably the best, or at least it's my favorite. But what happens in some of the later films, like especially three, four, and five, Daigoro, like, there are these sequences where Daigoro winds up getting separated from his father and he has these like side adventures often where he meets female characters like in one of them he meets this this pickpocket woman and winds up getting publicly beaten on her behalf and even though he's like three or four in this movie refuses to give her up and his father walks into the scene at the point where he's being beaten doesn't go to save his kid just watches what's happening and is like i am so proud of you it's it's the sweetest thing ever yeah i love that shit so much the the whole boat thing though is another thing where like you don't realize it doesn't make sense until you see uh what's the second lone wolf and cub baby cart in peril is that uh baby cart at the river sticks that's right it, because the the masters of death being there, the people uh, burning down the boat, everything like that's all explained in that. And then this one, it's just sort of like, oh, rebels are here, and now the boat's on fire, and like it's so funny. Yeah, it's goofy, but once again, you're you're so entrenched in this fever dream that it doesn't it doesn't annoy you. And I think one of the reasons that this movie has that fever dream feel. Is I mean not because it's it's a recut mix up Wabadoo movie, but it's <laughs> it certainly helps. Wabadoo. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely Wabadoo. Your made up words are my favorite. It's the synth score. It almost has like a Tangerine Dream yes, vibe. Absolutely. Yeah. But the score is, and not to get on my soapbox from the beginning of the episode, but often when AIP would recut. Mario Baba's movies for US release, they would rescore all of them in a way that yeah. it was like this I guess this is fine, but why are you doing this? But here it's so awesome. Yeah. Similarly, that's one reason why I was saying at the top of the show how I don't like watching movies dubbed. The Godzilla dubs. And one of the main reasons is 
the sound. The sound design of these movies is so important. When I watched Legend of the Drunken Master, all of the hits, like you can see him fucking hitting the guy five more times than the fucking dubbing is doing the sound effect for. But with Lone Wolf and Cub, the sound design that went into their like remix, so much love went into it. You can tell they really, really fucking tried. Yeah, I mean, the, the once again, that's that's why I think Shogun Assassin stands out. It's like, look at just the Daigoro. I feel like if somebody else made a re-edit of this movie... He wouldn't be up front and center like he is in Shogun Assassin, where he's the yeah. narrator. Yeah, he's the, really. The, he, he's oh, he's the, the lead. He's it's the lead. Such in an this. unusual choice. It's the guy's kid too, yeah. right? Yeah, that kid, amazing job. Iconic. His well, voice is like the lines that were written for him are not normal kid words. Like my absolute favorite is the way he says the Shogun's decapitator. Like he I doesn't know. know what a decapitator yeah. is, yeah. and his dad's like, all right hears he's just taught him how to re- in my head he's just taught him how to read he's like yeah. here's how you pronounce all these fucking syllables sometimes we come to a town but it's bad for us because we're not like other people the towns are dangerous shogun's ninja are everywhere our rooms are nice and we have hot bath anybody could be a ninja even a pretty woman or a nice lady and you never know who hey oh how cute oh christy thank you very much thank you won't you wait inside please thanks but sometimes you have to take a chance if you want to take a bath you gotta take a chance if you want to take a bath that's my. It's oh, <laughs> yeah. so good, but I do have to counter that a little bit because the main female ninja, and I almost don't even want to say this on the episode because once you hear it, you can't fucking unhear it. What? The female ninja's dubbing is done by Sandra Bernhardt. Who's that? You're looking at me like have I... You ever, have you ever seen The King of Comedy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sandra Bernhardt. You know who she is. That's the one that teams up with Robert De Niro. Oh! She does all the dialogue for the female... Wait, the main a, female ninja. And she's a comedian lady? Yes. Yeah. I think she's been canceled, hasn't she? She's definitely been canceled. I, wa- I want to say, but the reason that she was canceled is awesome. So probably five years ago now not too long after trump became president she told people on the internet that they should assassinate him oh isn't that like what kathy griffin did or kathy griffin yeah but kathy griffin cried about it well she just held up his severed head and then like a wimp got caught out about it and cried oh my gosh that's like the coolest thing she's ever fucking done the one cool thing it definitely is i also shouldn't hate on sandra bernhardt because she she has done some great non-comedy stuff but just her voice to me is so recognizable wow. in these kind of overblown comedy roles that to hear her with her super pronounced New York accent yeah. doing this female yeah. ninja, That's it's it's like, oh. <laughs> they kept the laugh, though, from the original track. They did, yeah, which is which, great. Because that laugh is fantastic. <laughs> my women will execute him is there an imdb 
for voice actors. There, no, I wish, and I wish there was. There are so many like guys in Italian movies and 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 even Shaw Brothers movies where like I know that man's voice. Like I've seen or at least quote unquote heard this guy in at least sixty movies, and I kind of wish I knew who it was. There's this lady in Italian horror movies in the dubbing. She often does Daria Nicolodi's dubs, but her voice is so recognizable to me. If I pointed her out, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. And I just want to know who this woman is. It's right. killing me. The, no, the one for me, um, he does uh, Al Cliver's voice in Zombie. Yeah. He just has this like gruff New Yorker voice. He's one that's like, who is this guy? Because he's in every Fault G movie. Which I think is what makes, uh, it's another thing just to sort of underline what we're talking about, that Shogun Assassin really is so different from that traditional practice of this kind of like lazy dubbing where the actors doing the dubbing don't have all of the dialogue or it's really poorly translated and they're just kind of phoning it in. Here, it's... And I was saying this to Charles earlier, but watching it again this many years later, it made me think just how kind of ahead of its time it was because this is something that super movie nerds would do on their YouTube channel. Yeah, that's a big, and not just like whole movies, but like they even do like fake trailers and stuff. And a lot of that stuff's neat. Like I'll see some people care. Yeah. 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 I've always wanted to see the, uh, that 70s show kid who like recut all of the star Wars movies or the star Wars prequels rather into like a single feature or something. It's like his like pet project, but that's exactly what this is. And it's so crazy that somebody would do that in, 1980 and bother to buy the rights for these two Japanese films and I actually I don't think we've talked about him but this is sort of the project of Robert Houston and David Wiseman and once I found out that David Wiseman is somebody who worked with Andy Warhol it just kind of clicked in my head because this is some real Warhol shit to do. Yeah, like to to take a property that already exists and to spin it on its head and and like popify it and and to repackage it. Oh, yeah. Do you know another factoid that my buddy Joe told me that blew my fucking mind? Robert Houston is Bobby from The Hills of Eyes. Yeah, which just kind of ties this back to that whole New York grindhouse 42nd Street scene, which is totally who this movie is meant for. But I think so often movies that we're going to be talking about on this show are victims of poor marketing, where the distribution company just like didn't give a shit about this low budget horror movie or exploitation movie, whatever the genre was. And often do a really lazy job of marketing them or they don't even understand what they have. But I think in the case of Shogun Assassin, it's an example of the opposite where they knew the audience, they were members of the audience and probably because of Wiseman's training with Warhol knew that marketing is key to getting an audience. And there's this crazy shit with the promotion of this film that I believe to be fact until like a week ago, which 
when you would originally like the bootleg that I have, it says that and this is like one of the taglines for the film is banned since 1983, yeah. which is when I was born. So which would probably yeah. also be my tagline. Well, was it like it was it video nasty or something or was it? But it wasn't even fully banned. So this is what I found out that also like your fact blew my fucking mind is when you read about this film and couldn't get a hold of it, you know, 30 years ago. There was all this shit about how it was banned in England, banned in Germany, banned in Australia, banned all over the world. Apparently it wasn't, it was almost banned in the UK, but I don't even think it officially made the video nasties list. And so it wasn't even quite banned, but they were like, oh, we know the audience. We're just going to tell everyone that this movie has been banned to the nines. And that's part of what gave it this holy grail reputation sure. that, that all of us grew up absolutely with. led me to it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the fucking like nasty headshot movie, which it is. Yeah. So, like, I'm not even mad that. They no, 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 no. It wasn't false advert. I mean, it was a little false, but like not really. Yeah. I mean, they were advertising this movie as the fucking goriest, most banned, insane fucking movie ever. Well, we do know who released this movie and who is a master of doing Roger this. Corman. Yeah. Oh, hell, oh yeah, New World Pictures. And apparently Robert Houston didn't get paid much when he like licensed it or however. That's another Roger Corman special. Yeah, and I remember he even said because it's in um what's the Roger Corman book how I made like 10,000 movies and never lost a dime. Yeah. Everything I learned about filmmaking that I learned from The Toxic Avenger. <laughs> the um, Okay, Lloyd Kaufman. In the book he even says like, yeah, I just picked up this like one movie for for, you know, cheap and made millions off of it and the and robert houston read it he's like oh god he like he got paid like 10 grand or something so fucked assassin's fee in advance bring the money one thousand pieces of gold i know we all frequent exhumed films or at least we did before the the pandemic age were you guys at the x-fest for lightning swords of death Oh, no. I was. I was. Oh, that yeah. was so cool. Yeah. I, I had no idea that it existed. Yeah. I, I remember when, when Shogun Assassin originally got released on DVD, it was Shogun Assassin, and then they did another one, Lightning Swords of Death, and there was another one. They did not keep the same titles as, as the Lone Wolf and Tub Do you movies. know offhand? I, I remember that screening, and... I remember being really hyped on it. Yeah, I had no, what do you, do you remember what it was? Like, was it... Was it the third movie? It was the third movie. I'm do they sure. it's do they the one do the same the... kind of remixing? Because I I, I kind of remember it being a lot more straightforward. Yes, it I was... think maybe it's just the third movie dub. Well, it was it it, it was definitely like in, made in response to Shogun Assassin. Exactly. Yeah, but it was definitely straightforward narration. I remember when I went back and or when I finally saw the Lone Wolf and Cub movies, it was like, oh, this is just that one because it's the one. Where I'm thinking part three, where he reveals that the baby cart has a machine machine gun on it. So this is baby cart to Hades. I think I was mentioning this earlier because three and in both three and six, he fights a whole entire army. Mm -hmm. And basically the plot of three is another example of what we were talking about earlier about how he's like secretly a really nice guy and he's just trying to keep his son alive. But he comes across this woman who, this very young woman who's being sold into prostitution by the Yakuza. And he decides to kind of 
vouch for her and is beaten on her behalf. And he stumbles into this whole plot about the governor of this particular area is somebody super corrupt and winds up being targeted not only by the Yagyu clan, but also by the governor and the governor sends a small army after him. And that's the one where you're like, Holy shit, the baby cart can do even more than it could in the first two movies. I was, I was just completely shocked because I thought with us release, it was just Shogun assassin. And then seeing that one was, it could be, it could have been four. I can't remember. Four is the super sick one I was talking about earlier. Four is with a tattooed lady. Is yes. baby cart in peril? Yeah. That's which has right. The I, no, lady. then I awesome. think it definitely was three. But I, rem- it's been years since that one. That was the year they opened up with uh, Sunday on the Farm. Oh, Sunday in the Country. Sunday in the Country. Oh, the that, Ernest Borgnine movie? Yeah. I love exhumed films. I do, too. They're just, I mean... I miss them. Me, too. I, I do love the drive-in, and I love seeing their stuff at the drive-in, but nothing fucking beats sitting in a movie theater, especially like sitting in... Watching 12 hours uh, of exploitation gosh, of horror movies. Take me fucking back, the, okay? The pandemic is over, everybody. Yeah, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, and... You are in the Philadelphia area or able to get here. Hopefully sometime soon, Exhumed Films, which is a you know regional treasure that I grew up with, that we all grew up with, that introduced us all to so many wonderful movies. They do these regular screenings that are usually double or triple features, but they have these two great annual events. One is X-Fest in May, where they show just nuts exploitation movies, and the lineups are always a secret. Yeah, that's the best part, is just the, the list of hints they give you. And I, I remember when I first started going, my favorite thing to do was to, like, I'm going to guess. To guess. I'm going to guess them. But now I look at the list of hints, and I just read them, and, like, I'm not going to fucking guess. I got no idea what they're going to play. That's part of the even, fun for me try is not anymore. even, like, yeah. Let's just... Bring it the fuck on. But they also have Horrorthon, which is this now legendary event that happens usually the weekend before Halloween, and it's 24 hours of horror movies. You have no idea what's playing. It is to me. It's Christmas morning. It's it's the Super yeah. Bowl. It's the it's, it's the biggest thing of the year, and I miss it so much. Yeah. My father hardly ever talks anymore. We just go a little farther every day. At night, we make fire and have our tea, and we listen for the ninja. All right, yeah, I guess one thing that we should get onto is the fucking Shogun. Or I guess he's the Shogun. He's the Shogun and Shogun Assassin. But he's the leader of the Shadow Clan in Lone Wolf and Cub. When I put it on the other night, I, I watched it with all of my roommates in my house. It was like, a, we're like, we're having a party tonight. A quarter of the way through, one of my roommates looks at me and they asked, is he magic? And, like, <laughs> and I totally understood why they asked me that. Because he looks like, he a, looks like a fucking wizard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he looks like a wizard. And the way his voice is, it's just... he's recasted twice in in the later lone wolf and cub movies and the guy doesn't have the same menace to him no no it's that voice have you ever seen ikaru yes he's the novelist that oh yeah that the guy goes yeah he's also one of the um 
scuzzy executives in high and low. He's so he's oh wow. So he, yeah, he makes yeah. the rounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, he's has such a terrifying look. The the one scene like after he kills a bunch of people in a room and then he like cracks open the doors and he's just standing. He's like standing there with his crew behind Gorgeous him. Shot amazing. It, it's like an Akira Kurosawa shot where it's just packed with people. I don't know why, but that shot specifically always makes me think of like Sega Genesis cutscenes, like where like <laughs> games had that weird motion to them. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a knock at all. I love it. Sega! Speaking of him, it's really interesting to think about how that is the major change between the series and Shogun Assassin. And it makes perfect sense, I think, especially from an American perspective, where the main villain would be this evil Shogun. Whereas in the series, you don't ever see the Shogun at all, right? No. You never see the Shogun. The Shogun is so far removed. It's mostly that you're dealing with the Yagyu clan who are trying to frame Agami Ito and all of these other clans as well so that they can just amass all of this power. So I think it says a lot of really interesting things about Japanese bureaucracy and power structures that are absent from Shogun Assassin, but I think understandably so. If you're you're trying to tell this like streamlined When you're making the punk rock version, you cut out that kind of fat. They even fight in the later movies, but I kind of like it better when he's not like... When he's just like the puppet master. Exactly. I love that type of like getting, you know, the superhero to fight like the master, sort of like Superman and Lex Luthor. I find that dynamic more interesting than two hulks punching each other one thing that you have to commend shogun assassin for doing is they get so much mileage out of the like four scenes in the lone wolf and cub series of that fucking like white-haired guy they show the same shot of him three times throughout shogun assassin but because they dub it with like different lines like it just it seems different. It right. does. And they do. They get so much out of it that when I did... No, although that same character who is just the the lord of the Yagyu clan in the series, in the sixth one, and I know I keep bringing this up, the, uh, the title is White Heaven and Hell, and I'm trying to remember what they're called. But in order to defeat Ogami, who has escaped him now for six movies... He hires this clan of ninjas who lives in a mountain cave and practices black magic. Oh, it's like he this, just becomes more yeah. and more desperate. The every sixth movie. one is the one where they like they go to hell. They, they he has no more children to throw at him to yeah, be slaughtered. He, <laughs> yeah. he tries to, and so as as you see throughout the movies. His kids, who are also badass and evil, which is why the Shogun seems so kind of above everything and is only mentioned in name. But this man literally sends all of his children to be chopped in half by Agami Ito. And that's why he has to use an army in this snowy mountain in the sixth one to try to kill him and it still doesn't work isn't isn't the uh one of the the people doing the black magic like his bastard child or something that he disowns yes oh. yeah. he sure is yeah. oh, that yeah. one is one of the best in the series i i, I, I can't off. choose they're yeah. all it's, fucking good and how often can you say this about a franchise or right. a series where, especially ones that reach six yeah 
they're just so good and, and, and that's that's another thing that i love about this genre and the long-running series in the genre is that if you like one of them you're gonna like all of them and the episodic feel just makes it like so it's not like you're you're like oh this is just like the last fucking five it's like oh this is like the last five this is so great i yeah like it's so nice to see them like do the same scene a little different the reason that people return to TV shows every week is because it, I think, has that sort of formulaic feeling. It's never really going to end until no. the network randomly decides that it should. Yeah. But I definitely hate a lot of television and don't have the patience for it. But this is like the better version of that. Yeah, but it's, it's it's similar it's to that really... like structural repetitiveness that is so comforting. So speaking of TV... I watched Lone Wolf and Child Assassin Road to Hell. <laughs> what the fuck is that? It is this made for television late 80s. Let's just put everything from the Lone Wolf and Cub movies in this two hour and 20 minute thing. What, it was made for television or was it a recut? Or was it... No, it was made for TV. Okay, okay. Somebody else is playing Ogami Ito, but the original Ogami Ito Wakayama. is playing. Ritsudo Yugya, and he's wearing this shitty looking Santa Claus like beard. <laughs> and it's not made with any of the love or grandeur. It's made like a TV show. It's just like very flat. Huh. Maiko Kaji is in it as a. Oh, I love her. She's, I can watch her for. Uh, I love her. She's so much. like my equivalent to Toshiro Mifune, where he's like. Oh, the coolest, hottest yeah. man. That, like, She's she the coolest, have hottest to say lady. A fucking yeah. word. She and just has to be. She has those haunted eyes that yeah. makes her perfect oh for like gosh. Lady Snowblood yeah. and stuff. But she falls in love with well, Ogami does, Ito. Does it? Does the the show or does the movie do anything different or is there anything like that stands well, out? Well, I've never saw the original series, which I looked for but I could not find anywhere. But this one, however, has an end. Oh no. Where they do fight to the death, and like they they gr gain mutual respect for oh, each other. No. Yeah, Daigoro. Uh, I feel like Ronald Reagan is to blame for this. It, it, it's it's eighty nine, so maybe Ronald Reagan. His brain was infected with devils. <laughs> <laughs> there you go again. Uh, so. While we we're around the subject of a franchise that was untarnished, I wanted to bring up. You wanted, you had to tarnish it. <laughs> God damn it, John. Well, um, has, has there been an American remake? Would you stop? I'm going to go commit seppuku if we continue this conversation. Okay, sorry. I just needed to, I, I watched, I spent two hours, 20 minutes of my life. I might have got some mileage out of it. Okay, yeah, let's wrap things up here. I want to give another shout out to Liam and Josh at Cinepunks. They're our network, and they're, they're really helping us along with these these early episodes, getting us all set up. So thanks a lot to them. Again, Andrew Calvo with the fucking soundboard. You're an absolute king. And I got one more. I got one more I got to shout out. Our dear friend, Dylan uh, Soltis. I used his Criterion login to watch all of these oh. Chunbara <laughs> films. And I am way too fucking cheap to, you thank know. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. You really helped me out, bud. Sam. How's your Patreon doing? My Patreon could use some love. Yeah, my OnlyFans isn't doing well either. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do sign up for my Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash Sam Deegan, 
you can listen to some of our episodes early and we'll probably put some fun at least for us outtakes on there at some point yeah basically as soon as we're done editing an episode it'll go up on your patreon a little early yeah a little early but this show is not fucking paywalled this is no no, this This is is for the people this is for the people this is the people's show i'd be ashamed if i was getting money just oh my god Absolutely Just not. to talk about how you watched a two and a half <laughs> right. hour TV adaptation of Lone Wolf and Cub. I mean, I've been stealing money from my bosses for years. That never made me feel bad. But if somebody gave me a dollar just for me to ramble, I'd be like, listen, keep the dollar. Just let me ramble. <laughs> yeah. I, I need friends. Just Yeah. That's the only reason why I wish I had a job. So I can steal from it. I think we're done here. All right. See you later, everybody. Good night. <laughs>